Let me read these verses from, again, John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Amen. Well, we're going to read the Bible together. We're going to read John chapter 1. So, if you have a pew Bible or your own Bible with you, let's turn to John chapter 1. If you've got a pew Bible, it's page 1063. 1063, and we'll read these first 18 verses of this uh, well-known and yet tremendously uh, profound passage. John chapter 1, reading from verse 1. This is God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet, to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling amongst us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because He was before me. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses." grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. Amen. We trust that God will bless His Word to us. Well, please do open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John and the chapter 1 as we begin our evening Christmas series, uh, Two Truths or Truths of Christmas. Tonight I'm on the Incarnation and next week, Nigel will be on the virgin birth. Now, if you are excited about some of the things that we're going to talk about here this evening and you want to read more, this is a super little book by one of our friends, Jonty Rhodes. Uh, Jonty has written this, What the Humiliation and Exaltation of Jesus Means for Us, Man of Sorrows, King of Glory. Uh, I'll leave it sitting up here uh, during tea and coffee. You can uh, have a look at it. Please don't take it home. <laughs> I would rather keep it, but uh, you'll be able to buy it online if you wish. So, uh, please do take a look at it. Now, we come to the incarnation, 
And as we start to think about the doctrine of the incarnation this evening, and as we see it in John's gospel laid out for us, we could go to various other places, but as we see it in John chapter 1, something may happen to us. We hear the word incarnation, and it's a little bit like GCSE level French for me, right? You go into GCSE level French, and the teacher had a hard job from week one because I couldn't see the point to it. Why, why, why would I learn French? Whenever if I, if I landed in France one day, well, surely they'll all just speak English, right? That was an awful view to take and an awful view of the class. And sometimes we just think, well, it's not worth the effort. I don't really want to learn French. It's not worth all of the effort. Sure, I might never go to France anyway. <laughs> and sometimes whenever it comes to the incarnation, we think to ourselves, whew, that's really heavy. It's really complicated. It's going to take a lot of thinking. It's going to take a, a lot of trying to piece things together this evening. And there will be an element of mystery to it. We'll, we'll just not worry about it. We'll, we'll just kind of set it aside. We'll let the ministers worry about it, some of the elders. But this isn't really for us. Well, I want to persuade you tonight of the utter importance of this doctrine. And as we edge into this this evening... Something we got to know. We got to know that people get this wrong, and they have gotten it wrong over hundreds and hundreds of years. And tonight we're going to hopefully navigate a path through all of the heresy. And so, if you're interested in church history, you can look at the Council of Nicaea in 325, or you can look at the First Council of Constantinople in 381, where people were arguing that Jesus was divine but not human. Or you can check out the Council of Chalcedon in 451, where they tried to affirm the divine and human natures of Jesus. Or you could go to the Second Council of Constantinople in 553. That's for all the history buffs tonight, if you want to go away and to research this. But we firmly believe that this doctrine, understanding this doctrine tonight, will dramatically change your life as a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, this doctrine should change your life tonight. Now, you may have entered here this evening, and at some point in our life, we may have thought about it like this. You may have asked the question, is there a God? It's a valid question as we try to make sense of our world. And then as you ask that question, you may have followed it up with another question. Has this God, if there is a God, has He visited this earth? And if he has visited this earth, what did he come to do? Is there a God? If there is, has he visited, visited this earth? And if he has visited the earth, what did he come to do? Well, Christmas is an amazing time of the year. It gives us an opportunity to answer these questions. And we want to say tonight, there is a God. And our God did come to this earth. And his name is Jesus. And he came to save his people from their sins. Now, let's unpack this. And we're going to do it with two points. What of the incarnation? What is the incarnation? The what of it? What, what is it? What are we talking about tonight? It's a long word, maybe a word that we're not overly familiar with. What is the incarnation? The what of the incarnation? And then our second point will be the so what of the incarnation. Not very creative tonight, but there you go. There's our two points as we come to this. So, look at John's gospel. John chapter 1 and verse 14. What is the incarnation? It simply means in flesh. 
Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Question, who is the Word? Look up at the very first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Who is the Word? We've been singing about Him tonight. You're the Word of God, the Father, from before the world began. The Word is the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we have it in John's Gospel, in the opening verses, the dramatic impact that there is a God, and this God has visited this earth, and He is visited as a man. He is God in flesh, God coming to His creation through His Son. And as we think about this, as we've said, we, we have to have a word of caution because we, we can get it wrong this evening, but let's hope that we don't because this is the very heart of the gospel. All of Scripture is centered on this fact. Salvation rests on it. Salvation rests on Jesus being the God-man. If Jesus was not fully divine and fully human, then there's no salvation. If this isn't true, if this doctrine tonight isn't true, well, then we can all lift our coats, we can switch off the lights, we can lock the doors, and we can all go home, because it, it, what we're doing tonight is totally irrelevant if this isn't true. And what the church has been doing for the past 2,000 plus years is totally pointless. And if this isn't true, there's no hope and there's no gospel. And we've all been wasting our time. And all that we've heard about tonight with Colin, our brother Colin, and the work of CEF, well, have all just been wasting their time. So what is this? It's the doctrine of the incarnation. It's that Jesus comes to visit us, the very Son of God made man. So what of it? Well, Jesus is one person, and this is where things get a little bit complicated for us, okay? Jesus is one person with two natures, okay? Very careful that we, we get that language correct. One person with two natures. He is truly God and truly man, okay? Truly God and truly man. Now, let's think about this in His divine nature, first of all. What does it mean that Jesus has a divine nature? What does it mean that He is fully God or truly God? Well, the, the question that maybe you're asking is, was Jesus really God? Well, Gregory of Nazianzus, who's uh, he's not about today, he was about a long time ago in the fourth century, he was the Archbishop of Constantinople, and he says this, it's really, really helpful for us, this top quote, Remaining what he was, he became what he was not. Okay, so Jesus is fully God. We know that. He's the, the Word. He, verse 1, he was in the beginning, the beginning of the world, and he was with God and was God. He was in the beginning with him. And then verse 3, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that has been made. This is God. But remaining what he was, he became what he was not. He became human flesh. So, this quote is super helpful for us tonight as we work our way through. 
And Christians have always believed that Jesus is both God and man. Now, how can that be? Well, it is a mystery, but we must confess that Jesus is fully God. He did not become less than God. He didn't come as a toned-down version of God. He certainly didn't cease to be God, and He has always been and will always be. So, verse 1 again, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus has always existed. Outside of time, He existed before He became incarnate. And so, what do we say at Christmas? He is very God of very God. And in the words of the Nicene Creed, second little quote you'll see there, He's of one substance with the Father. The two are equal. We worship a triune God, three in one and one in three. So, Jesus has always existed. He's begotten, not created, as we sing at Christmas. And so, He's the Word, John 1 verse 1, and He was God and He is God. So, let's think about it. God is all-powerful. Yes, Jesus is all-powerful. God knows all things. Jesus knows all things in His divine nature. Confusing? Difficult? Yes, it is. Necessary? Absolutely. And we'll see that in a few moments. So, let's take a little bit of relief and think about what other people say about Jesus for a moment. Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons, well, what do they try to do with Jesus? They try to deny this very point. They try to deny that Jesus was God. They reduce Him down to flesh, but not to God. But maybe you'll say to me, John, they've got a point. Surely they've got a point whenever it comes to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, and it'll come up on the screen for us. Whenever we come to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, 7, and 8, have the Jehovah Witnesses and have the Mormons, have they got a point? Well, let's think about it. Let's read it. Who, though he was talking about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, verse 7 causes us maybe some issues, but emptied himself. Did he empty himself of his deity? Big question mark. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now, what's going on in Philippians chapter 2 and in verse 7? Well, it's simply to say that Jesus made himself nothing. It's not that he became less of God. It's not how we should translate it. The NIV translates it slightly differently from the ESV, saying he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. It's as if he takes off the royal robe and he replaces it with the servant's gowns. Now, let's think about him again in his divinity, in his godly nature. Imagine this. Imagine we're walking through a field, okay, and we see a cow. And we see a cow, and it looks like a cow, it smells like a cow, it moves like a cow, it walks like a cow. It's a cow, right? We're fairly certain that it's a cow. But if someone said, well, let's take away some of the attributes, some of the things that make a cow a cow. Maybe, maybe it had seven legs instead of four. And instead of mooing, it barked at us. And it didn't really have a tail, and it had three heads. Now, 
No longer do you have a cow, right? You've got some crazy animal, right? But it's not a cow, you see. Whenever you start to strip attributes away from the thing, it, it ceases to be what you say it was. And so it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people try to strip away some of His attributes, the fact that He was all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. But if you start to strip away the attributes of God, then He ceases to be God. And so the point being here, He cannot be close to God, Jesus. He can't be 75% of God. He can't be just almost God. He has to be all God or not God at all. He has to be all God or not God at all. And so, biblical orthodoxy tonight is to confess the incarnation that God comes in flesh. A Heidelberg Catechism, we're leaning on some of the greats here tonight and, and some things that's helpful in our, in our church history. The Heidelberg Catechism, question 35, I think it'll come up on the PowerPoint for us. It, it kind of bridges these two doctrines tonight. So, tonight, the incarnation, next week, the virgin birth. Here's what it says, question 35. What does it mean that he, talking about Jesus, was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? Well, the answer, that the eternal Son of God, John 1, verse 1, who is and remains true and eternal God, took to himself through the working of the Holy Spirit from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, a truly human nature, so that he also so that he might also become David's true descendant, except for sin. So, we've talked about the divine nature. Now, let's move into his human nature. One person, two natures, divine. We confess that. Now, let's think about his humanity. So, Jesus knew everything in his divinity, and yet in his human nature, he didn't know the day when the world would end. It's confusing, isn't it? Jesus created everything in John chapter 1, verses, the first four verses. He creates everything. And yet young Jesus in Joseph's workshop had to ask Joseph, what's that? As he pointed towards hammers and saws. Jesus was the bread of life. But Jesus also got hungry and thirsty and tired. There's a beautiful thing that we saw in Mark's gospel this week as we studied it with the men, that Jesus was on the boat in the middle of the storm, and there's this lovely detail in Mark's gospel, and he was asleep on a cushion. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? That the king of all the world, whenever he comes in flesh, he likes a little bit of comfort just like us. It's impossible for God to suffer, and yet Jesus suffered in the garden and on the cross. He is the suffering servant. It's impossible for God to die. He is immortal, and yet Jesus died. Two natures in one person, fully God and fully human. And so, whenever we talk about Jesus and these things, there's a distinction to be made that in His human nature, 
Of course, he was the little babe in arms. He had to grow. He was hungry and he was thirsty. He had to sleep. He had to rest. He had to eat. He had to do all of these things. He had to learn things. But in his divinity, well, of course he knew it all. He's the creator of it all. Here's an insufficient illustration, but it might help us this evening. This is complicated. Imagine this. Imagine someone called Timothy. And Timothy may hold a passport in the United Kingdom, and he may also hold a passport in Sweden. We could say that Timothy is Swedish and that he is British. He is dual citizenship, as it were. Both are true. Now, a logical contradiction exists if and only if being British excludes him from being Swedish. But it does not. He's allowed to have dual citizenship. And so, whenever we think about Jesus being divine and human, it might be helpful for us to think of He was a citizen of and the High King of heaven and of earth. Now, it's not a great illustration, but it maybe helps us in these deep waters tonight. One person, two natures, fully man, fully God, this we confess. So, that's the what of the incarnation. Now, let's move into the so what, and hopefully things become a little bit easier. The so what of the incarnation. What difference does this make? It's all very heavy information for us, but let's, let's start to try and apply this. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet is without sin. And Nigel was unpacking this for us last week as we thought about suffering. Now, the so what of the incarnation, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was over at uh, the car park here at, between Little and Alanis, and I was on my phone, I was just into the car, and the next thing, there was this almighty commotion outside the car, uh, and two men were going flat out at each other, because one was coming across, and one was coming this way, and they almost hit each other, and I thought, happy days, ringside seats, here we go, get the popcorn out, Right? And these two guys started going at it, flat out back and forward. And one guy was probably in his 60s, one guy in his 40s. The 40-year-old grabs the, <laughs> the older guy and pushes him back about five meters. I thought, oh, here we go. Like, it's really kicking off now. It's all kicking off. But I was happy to sit. <laughs> happy to sit and to watch the carnage unfold. I've told myself since that if things got really rough, I might have intervened. I hope I would have. But the thing was, I was reluctant, wasn't I? We're all reluctant to get involved in messy situations. We don't, we don't really want to put ourselves into harm's way. We're happy to watch. We don't want to get involved in the inconvenience. It's too messy. It's too much hassle. The incarnation, what does it teach us? That Jesus does the exact opposite. That the Lord comes down into this absolute mess into the brokenness of the world. He doesn't just sit on His heavenly throne and gaze down on us thinking, what a mess they've all made. He doesn't sit on His throne and think to Himself, do you know what? Like we pull documents and just put them into the, the, the trash bin on our computers. He doesn't just do that with us. Do you know what? It would just be easier if I deleted all of these folks. Forget about it. Start all over again. He could have decided to destroy us, but He doesn't. This is the beauty of the doctrine of the incarnation. It's Jesus. What does John tell us? He is full of grace and he is full of truth. Look at verse 14. 
He comes from the Father, the Son of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. This doctrine reveals the very heart of our God. In fact, it reveals the whole sweep of what is going on in the Bible. You know how sometimes on Google Images, you you find your house, you put in your address, and you think, oh, they're maybe cutting the grass, right? (laughs) You can see yourself in Google Images. And, And then you zoom in a little bit more to see if you can find the cat or the dog or to see if there's somebody at the window. Sometimes whenever it comes to the Bible, we have that Google Street View, don't we? We, we, we keep clicking zoom, 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 and we get closer and closer and closer. And sometimes whenever we get that close, we can't really see all of the detail. And instead of that, we want to hit the, the back out button so we can see our street, and not just our street, but our country. Not just the country, but we're going back and we can see the whole world, as it were. Let's think about the Bible in a big sweeping term here tonight with this doctrine. What does God do in the garden? He's with man, isn't he? He walks, Nigel Predit, he walks with man, he walks with Adam, he's with him. But then what happens is that sin enters the world, and whenever sin enters the world, there's been a, this, this crime committed, and there must be a punishment of it. Justice must be paid. And so what happens is that we see that, that, that God comes and there's sin, but He also comes in His presence, and He required a sacrifice for sin. We see a little bit of that in Genesis 3 as the, the animals are sacrificed and a covering is made. But come then with me into the Exodus. What's going on? God comes, and He wants to be with His people, doesn't He? He wants to tabernacle with His people. There is sin, yes, but God is right in the midst of them, and He still requires a sacrifice to be paid. See the same thing? right from the garden, now into the Exodus. Then fast forward to the temple. What's the temple all about? God being with His people. There's sin, yes. Sacrifice has to be made. But the blood of sheep and and bulls and goats will never satisfy. And so, as we come into John chapter 1, the wonder of John chapter 1, in a sense, is that, yes, here comes God, but it shouldn't be a surprise for us, because that's been the whole sweep of the Bible, isn't it? Genesis, into Exodus, then through the tabernacle, into the temple, God with His people. And so, it should be no surprise for us as Christians that Jesus comes to His people. Now, the, the, the tabernacle and the, the temple, they're all tempering measures. They wouldn't do the job. It's like, it's like putting a bit of gorilla tape on a, on a leaking pipe. It's only a tempering measure. If you've done that, you need to get a plumber, don't you? <laughs> It'll never last forever, right? You need, you need to get it fixed. And so, we needed Jesus. We needed God to send His only Son. We needed Him to be fully human. Why? Why did Jesus have to become fully human? human? It's a good question. Well, the wrath of a holy God, a just God, would not be satisfied any other way. To put it like this, the the crime that had been committed, the the punishment that had to be taken, it, it had to match up. So, a sheep didn't commit the crime, right? A sheep couldn't fulfill the payment. Humans committed the crime. Cosmic sin broken relationship with our God. And so, humanity must pay for it. 
Again, the Heidelberg Catechism, question 14, God will not punish another creature for what a human is guilty of. Now, we're doing well. Here's a really helpful quote for us, again, from Gregory of Nazianzus. To help us think about this, why did Jesus, why did Jesus have to come fully God and fully man? Well, Gregory, it seems like everybody around that age was called Gregory, but Gregory of Nazianzus, he says this, that which was not assumed, what which, in some translations, he has not assumed. He has not healed. In other words, Jesus has to assume our flesh. He has to come in the form of our flesh. He has to be human. He has to assume our humanity to heal us. There's no other way. That which is not assumed cannot be healed. Or another Gregory, a Gregory of of Nyssa, he put it like this, the good shepherd carries home on on his shoulders the whole sheep, not just the skin all of us on his shoulders. And so as the first man plunged us into sin, it would have to be a man who would save us from our sin, a true man, a full man. However, no man could do it. The curse was so strong, wasn't it? The hereditary disease of sin passed from generation to generation, and there's no way to break it. We needed a Savior, a sinless one, who would be fully God and fully man. And so Jonty says, Jesus had to be one of us to live the life that we should have lived and die in our place as our representative. Could a sinless angel not have done it instead? Could a sinless angel not have rescued us? Well, no. Had to be the God-man. A mere man could no more redeem the world as he could create the world. The restorer of man must be the maker of man. And so this is the beauty of this. The creator of the whole world steps off his throne and he gets involved. He humbles himself. He becomes like us in every way. He comes into our mess, into the land of darkness, our king, our champion, our advocate, our defender, our rescuer, our savior. How unique. There is no other religion in the world that talks about God in this way the one true and living God, Jesus Christ in human flesh, to save us, hell-deserving sinners. The one who has ultimate power and authority. All because of love. And then read the wonder of this. Look at verse 12 of John chapter 1. This this should astonish us that that the very God has walked on this earth and He came here to do what? Verse 12, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. He gave them the right. Extends to us this adoption. And so what we want to see tonight is our Savior, and we want to have on our lips, who is there like Him? Who is there like Him? And so as we close, isn't it it beautiful? We're going to sing this in just a moment. Veiled, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Heal the incarnate 
deity. And so if this is not true, then we have everything we need to live and nothing to live for. But it is true. Christianity is what it is because Jesus of Nazareth was what he was, fully God and fully man. And so maybe you're here tonight and you've arrived and you're, you've heard that we're exploring the incarnation and you think to yourself, whatever, whatever. This doctrine, the incarnation, is no sideline issue. This changes everyone's life in this room tonight. The truth that God of the universe stepped down into the manger, born of a virgin. And if you doubt this, if you doubt that, that he really is the God-man, the challenge is read Mark's gospel. Read Mark's gospel, and next week at church on Sunday evening, you tell me who he is. If he's not God, then what is he? Who else can tell the waves? Shh. Peace. And it's still. Who can tell disease to be no more and it just vanishes? Who can tell the demons to get out and they obey? Who can tell death to give up its victims? And it does. This is God with us. Emmanuel. And that is why Christmas is known as a time of great joy. Unto you is born today in the city of David a Savior, the one that we need. And so this changes everything. What's our response? Our response to the incarnation is (laughs) our minds are probably a little bit sore. (laughs) We've scratched our heads a little bit. And then we say, Lord, I'm coming to worship you. I'm going to lay my whole life down to worship you. I'll give up everything. I'll leave everything to follow you because you are God in human flesh and you have called me to come and follow you. You have called me to repent and to believe in you and you have told me that I will then what? Dwell with you forever in the new earth. Of course, everything of this earth, I'll give it up because you are God and you have given us the right to become children of God. Now, that should blow our minds, expand our hearts, lift our very eyes onto the King of kings, the one who is immortal and invisible, the only wise God who walks our earth and says, come and know me and follow me, and you will live forever. So, As we close, we do have someone who has the authority to forgive our sins, and we have someone who really is worth living for, the one worthy of all of our praise. This is our God. Let us all worship at His feet.